Bible, raise your hand and these guys will be glad to give you one. You can go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. couple things I want to do before we get started. Number one is, uh, I think it is important for us as Americans on Memorial Day weekend to, to remember that despite some of the leadership we have and the culture that we live in that's not Christ-centered any longer, we do live in a free nation. And we live in the greatest nation on planet Earth. And there are a lot of men and women that have died so that we can live free. And many of you may either may know someone or have relatives. Uh, and I do think it's important for us to pause and remember and, and just thank God for what we as a nation celebrate on Memorial Day. So let's just take a minute and uh, I want you to silently pray. Just everybody bow your heads just silently. Maybe there's somebody you want to remember for a moment. And then in a minute, I will lead us all in prayer.
cancer, and one of his kidneys is pretty numb with it. Mark Wilson. Just pause for a minute. I'm going to pray for Mark. Father, we thank you for our brother, uh, our one of our shepherds. God, you, uh, Mark, is a man that I've not grown to know and love, but his affection comes through his wisdom. He loves you, loves the Word of God, he loves his church, and he's, he's leading us, Father. He's, he's always been just a, a pristine example of, of Christ's likeness. We pray for him. Now, turn to Jeremiah chapter 2, where we're going to learn from our faithful failure this week. Prior to doing that, I want to get, enlighten you, and this is very important, so you pay close attention. You, you are going to be glad that I'm about to enlighten you concerning this. How many of you have walked outside your house in the last week or so, and you hear this strange noise? Okay, now, to show you, I'm going to admit how stupid I am, so... So I walk out Monday and I hear this noise and I said, Mary, come here. I said, what is that? Well, I'm thinking somebody's filling up their swimming pool like two or three doors down. When I got home that night and they're still there, I'm thinking, wow, that's a serious pool they got over there. Well, I get up the next day and I hear it again. I go, wow, they must have a problem with a pump or something. And then I realize that it's every single day, hey, Randy, it probably ain't somebody filling up their pool. So I began to do some research. And I know some of you are going to tell me, my son-in-law, who's very wise, said it's the 13th year, what's it called, the cicadas? That's what it's called? The 13-year cicadas. How many of you think that's what it is? Come on, forget that. That ain't what it is. I heard yesterday somebody told me, it's the year of the locusts. The locusts have arrived, and they're just going to eat everything. I said, okay, that ain't what it is. Let me tell you what it is. So many of you are not old enough to remember. Years ago, there was a famous science fiction horror thing called War of the Worlds. Anybody remember that? Okay, Orson Welles did it on Halloween on the radio, and people were so terrified they literally thought the Martians were coming, that it was the end of the world. Well, they made the movie of that in 1954. I think that was the year, uh, 50, late 50s. They made the movie War of the Worlds. And when you walk outside, close your eyes, and listen to that noise, it's the exact same sound it made when the Martians hit. So I'm just letting you know they're here. Now, what you, what you plan to do with that information is your business. But it's the exact same. You, go, you get that movie, 1954, War of the Worlds. Listen to it. It's the exact same sound. When the Martians, all the spaceships hit. So I just thought I would enlighten you. All right. Jeremiah chapter 2. Now, that, that made, see, that made your day. Forever, you'll be saying, you know, remember that Memorial Day weekend when Randy told us the Martians were here and we didn't believe him? We should have listened. A lot you can learn. All right. Jeremiah chapter 2, we began last week talking about, in this arena of Israel's devotion to God, how they departed from God, and the question that, that God has Jeremiah asking them is why? Why are you turning from me? How does that new water that you're pursuing and that, that new God 
How's that doing for you, and, and, and how does that taste? So last week, I want you to turn to chapter 3 for just a second and look at verse 20, and then we'll get right back to chapter 2. We looked at last week, and number one on your handout, Israel's devotion to God, and, and the Lord was talking about, do you remember when it was so special as, as my bride, and you were my special treasure? Now look at chapter 3, verse 20. Surely as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so you have dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, says the Lord. And so he uses that metaphor and he continues with it to say to them, you've committed spiritual adultery. And it's a theme you'll see throughout the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Hosea. Several times God uses that metaphor to get the attention of Israel and Judah to say, why are you doing this to me? After all that I've done for you and, and being your God and being your husband, and you chase after other gods, you chase after other water, as we're going to see. So you see in verses 4 through 8 last week, we saw Israel's departure from God. Let's begin there. Let's read those verses and get into it. 2, 4 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters? Neither did they say, where is the Lord, who brought us out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt. I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. So as we transition today into what we're going to look at, here's God's question. Remember that devotion. And then you've left me to follow idols. And his question to them is why? Why leave me, a God who's done so much for you, and chase after a God, Baal being a generic as well as a specific God, chase after gods, plural, that do not profit you. They can't deliver you like I did. So we're going to begin today to look at the answer, starting in verse 6. And the first part of the answer is they had forgotten their heritage. They just simply had forgotten what God had done for them. I want you to notice verse 6 again. Why does this happen? Neither did they say, where is the Lord who brought us out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt. Notice the beginning of verse 6. Neither did they say, where is the Lord? Here's the picture I want you to see. The reason they began and ultimately end up chasing idols is they simply just stopped thinking about God. They became faultless toward their God. They didn't even consider what God wanted. The Bible talks about, if you want to be in Romans 12, 1, it talks about surrendering yourself completely to God. And Paul says, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy unto the Lord, set apart unto him, which is your reasonable service of worship, your reasonable response to salvation, your reasonable response to all that God has done for you, your reasonable response to being delivered from sin and death is to say to God, here I am, Lord, use me. Reasonable response is, as you worship that God is to say, here I am, body, soul, spirit, Lord, I belong to you. And then, he trans- and then the next verse, verse 2 says, don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's really important. Because what had happened to Israel and what God wanted Judah to learn from her northern brethren was, just stop thinking about me. You took me for granted. Again, using the analogy of the spiritual adultery in the relationship, God was saying, like a wife takes her husband for granted, you just took me for granted. And then ultimately what happened was you left me to chase after other gods as a wife might treacherously deal with her husband and chase after other men. So what God is saying is you committed spiritual adultery and it begins with you just have forgotten. And notice what he says again in verse 6. Your fathers or your leaders didn't say where is the Lord. It begins there. It's so important that I understand in my life as a believer, we understand as the church of Jesus Christ, our focus daily, regularly, continually has to be Where is God in the midst of what I'm doing? What would God have me do about this? Where is the Lord in this? How much time do I spend with the Lord? How much time do I spend trying to find out what his word says? How much time do I spend talking to him? I mentioned earlier praying for Mark and praying for others. And I hope every day you spend time in intercessory prayer for each other. Because it's important. Because what it will do is when you're praying for other people, you won't find yourself being selfish. That it's about me. Rather, it is, Lord, what can I do to be involved in the life of this very special person? God so convicted me. This week I went down to the med to see a young lady. And I'm standing there. This young lady should not have been alive. going to go, I had other things going on, I said, hey, no, you need to go, you need to go, but I ended up getting down, I don't know if you've been to the regional medical center lately, but you can get lost there and wander around for years, and I'd been wandering for a while, and they sent me to one room, and she wasn't there, and yet that was the room they gave me when they took my little picture and said, go to this room, so I go to that room, and, and I pick up the phone, the bat phone, it's literally a red phone on the wall, you pick up the red phone, and I say, I need to go to room so-and-so, and I'm looking for this person guy on the phone said, she's not here. She's been transferred to another room. It's another floor. So I, I said, okay, how do I get to that floor? And this young man in scrubs could tell I was completely lost. And he said, man, can I help you? And I said, yeah, how do I get to this room? He said, follow me. I'm going to the elevator that'll take you there. So I go to that elevator. And I go up to that floor and I go to that room number that he gave me, the guy on the bat phone. I go to that room. There's a man laying in the bed. And I'm thinking, you know, I ain't real smart, but that ain't a woman. 
So I go back to the desk and I said, I'm sorry, but the lady I'm looking for is not in that room because that's a man. And I'm a preacher. I know the difference. I don't know what that meant. But I, so here's what the, the people at the desk, they're like, no, that's a man in that room. And I said, yeah, you're right. I said, I just found that out. I said, could you tell me where this lady might be? And I gave them their name. And they said, she ain't in, that, she ain't in the room you just went to. I said, you're correct. She's not there. Well, this has gone on now for 30 minutes. And I said, what do you suggest I do to find her? I know she's in the building because, trust me, she didn't get up and go anywhere. She's in this building somewhere. Could you help me find her? That's all I want to do is find her. I said, well, if I were you, I'd go back where you came from and start over. So that's what I did. I went back down and I went to the bat phone again. I picked it up. And I said, my little sticker, which has my picture on it, says she's in this room number. Could you check one more time and make sure she's not there? And in a minute, the door just, you know, at the hospital, the door just magically opens. And I get, I get, I guess that's my clue, cue to go through the door. So I go through the door and I walk to the original room number that I left 45 minutes ago, and she's laying there in that bed. And I thank God I persevered because I'm telling you, she
forget. They didn't even think about it. Just totally stopped thinking about God. Which transitions him to the next point in verse 6. Look at it. God led us through the wilderness, through the deserts, through a land of drought, through a shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed, where no one dwelt. The wilderness, God took us through that. He guided us through it. Verse 7, I brought you into a bountiful country, but when you entered it, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. I delivered you from slavery, took you through the wilderness, through drought, through debt, death. I persevered with you. I took care of you. I carried you. But here's the point. Not only have you, not only have you stopped thinking about that, you're no longer grateful. Thoughtless toward God, you become thankful toward God. That's how you end up following idols. Because you're no longer thinking about the one true God who set you free in Jesus Christ. And you're looking for something else to make your life meaningful, purposeful, happy. Any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. I love that verse because in Greek, what it says is this. All things become as never seen before. When you're born again, God gives you a new set of eyes to see things with, particularly relationships and people. You no longer look at people as an entity which you might use. You look at them as somebody created in the image of God that Jesus died for, and you want to help them. You want to be part of their lives. You want to encourage. You want to be there for them. They had stopped thinking about God. They had stopped being grateful to God. And so the result was, verse 7, notice how he puts it, became an abomination. I got you there, and you just turned it into an abomination. Look closely at verse 7. I give you this beautiful country, bountiful, fruit, good, but when you entered it, you defiled it, and you made it an abomination. What I had given to you, my heritage. You just forgot it. You weren't grateful took it for granted. And I think sometimes as Christians, we need to remember, and I say this all the time, and I think it's so, it really gives you a sense of understanding. They lost a sense of what God was worth. They lost a sense of how great their God was. And they lost a sense of his incredible omnipotence, his power in their lives. How many times, and please don't raise your hand, in your heart, think, how many times do you tell God, talking about regularly, how grateful you are for anything, anything, when the Bible says he gives you every good and perfect gift comes from him, if you're married, do you thank God for your spouse, for your children, for your grandchildren, do you thank him for your health, again, the older you get, the more you realize, I thought about it yesterday when I got the phone call about Mark. Man, just in less than a week, your whole life is turned upside down. For him, it happened just a couple of days. He just wasn't feeling good. Goes in for these tests. Even before the tests were completely finished, they said, we need to talk to you and your wife. It's never a good sign. But the Bible says that we ought to be grateful in everything, which includes the bad. God is at work to glorify himself as I say, Lord, 
Don't ever let me forget. Don't ever let me forget what you brought me from. How you carried me, delivered me. We love the joke. Very few of you, if any of you, knew my mom. But my mom had mental illness issues and other issues. And was very much abused as a spouse as we were growing up. But my mom was just a funny person. You look at look at me and, and put me in drag. You would see my mom. I do that all the time. By the way, I just, I look exactly like my mother. We were there the other day, and I think Beth said, "Oh, Virginia, that was my mother's name." And she was such a sweet, tender person. Boy, when she wouldn't take her medicine, she'd be back in 1920 something. And it's so hard to see, and it's tough with my dad. I still think back at age 16 and God saved me and the friends that he gave me and the, the new church that he, he, he took me to, the wife that he introduced me to as a 16-year-old. She would be my wife in three years. And I never saw any of that in my life at, at 15 and 16. And I think back all the time in my prayer life, how special it is. Look back over 45 years since I became a Christian and see what God has done. Do you ever just stop and do that? Because God wants you to revel in that special relationship. That's why he uses the analogy of husband and wife. And he says, why would you leave me when I've been so good to you? They've forgotten their heritage. Psalm 103, you don't have to turn there, it says these words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives your iniquities. He heals your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. I love that little phrase right in the middle. Forget not all his benefits. And then he starts to list them. He saves you, forgives you, heals you, he redeems you. He crowns you. Loving kindness is grace. He gives you mercy. He takes care of you. He doesn't do everything you want him to do, but he only does what's best for you. Forget not all his benefits. This is a great way to pray sometimes. Just start praying. Lord, thank you for this person. Thank you for that person. Thank you for kindness you've shown toward me when I didn't deserve it. Remember the old hymn years ago, Count Your Blessings? What's the next line? See, you still remember it, don't you? Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. It doesn't mean your life's always going to be easy. As a matter of fact, it's going to be difficult. But God says to you, remember, remember my mercies, my benefits. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. So when it is difficult, I know he's there. We started this out three weeks ago where he says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I what? Knew you. And I had a plan for you. That's true for me. It's true for you. 
Some of you ladies who are expecting a child that's in your womb, God knew before the universe was created that child and the plan he has for he or she, him or her. But in your own life, every day, you ought to wake up and say, all right, Lord, show me what you got for me today. Because he does. Jeremiah, he talks about it every day. He just got up and did what? He went out and said, thus saith the Lord. And what did they say? Shut up, old man. We don't want to hear from you. A young man in his case. But for 50 years, sooner or later he became an old man, didn't he? But he, he just stood up and said, thus saith the Lord. Don't forget what God has done for you. Don't forget how he saved you. Bless the Lord. Forget not his benefits. And in verse 8, how did they get here? Wouldn't they forget their heritage? But one that's more personal for many of us is they had false leaders. Look at verse 8. The priest did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, and they walked after things that do not profit. You see, the people of Israel and then the people of Judah, if they had a spiritual issue or a question, or they wanted to know how to follow God, who might they go to logically? Their priests, their shepherds, the ones who taught them the law. Notice what God says about them. The priest did not say, verse 8, where is the Lord? These are the priests, the ones that they would bring the sacrifices to, the ones who did the ministry in the temple, the ones who were to lead, take them before God. Those priests, their spiritual leaders, did not even ask, where's God? They didn't care. Their teachers, those who handle the law, the Levites and the priests, Notice how he puts it. It's powerful. Those who handled the law did not know me. I ain't real smart, but the worst thing for those who are trying to follow God is to have someone leading them who doesn't know God. The blind leading the blind. That's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. You're blind guides. You're going to hell and taking people with you. That's what was going on here. Israel's leaders, then Judah's leaders didn't learn. Notice the, the continue the verse. You got the priests, you got the Levites, those who handle the law, the teachers, the rulers, their leaders transgressed against me. So there was no moral example. There was no teaching, proper teaching. They weren't teaching them truth. They weren't modeling truth. And the priests weren't even seeking God's will. So no wonder the people didn't have any direction. They had no spiritual leadership. That's why I was talking about a guy like Mark Wilson. You're around Mark Wilson, you know that this man, and again, he's one of our elders, you know that this man loves Jesus Christ. He loves to teach the Bible, he's been teaching it for years to children. He did his own mom and dad's funerals tremendous man of God somebody you can follow 
Somebody asked me the other day, what's the job of a preacher? And I said, it's pretty simple. It's to preach the truth and model the truth. Live it. They didn't have them teaching it to them. They didn't have it modeling for them. So their moral example was awful. Think about this. We wonder why our country is so anti-Christ in spirit. A lot of times it's the fault of people standing in pulpits who don't preach the truth. The whole truth. They only preach what the Bible talks about will tickle people's ears. What makes them feel good. What they want to hear as opposed to the truth. What does truth do? It sets you free. You go look at the list of the Christian books and the bestsellers and then go look at what those guys who sell them really believe. You'll be shocked sometimes. When Jesus says, I'm the only way a man can know God, what does he mean by that? It means I'm the only way a man can know God. Yet you have people standing in churches today and throughout our nation that say he is a way, not the way. They had begun to notice the result of that. They're prophets now. You've got the priests, the Levites, the rulers. And look at the end of verse 8. They're prophets prophesied by whom? Baal. And they walked after things that do not profit. These are the prophets of the children of God in Israel and Judah. Jeremiah, for example, stood up and said, Thus saith whom? But the rest of the prophets, and there were a lot of them, were standing up and saying what? Not thus saith Jehovah. They were saying thus saith Baal. Do you understand the difference? I know you do. Here's what he's saying. Your rulers, your priests, your Levites, your teachers, your prophets, they're not following me. So why in the world would you follow me. Baal was a chief male god of Canaanite worship. He was a nature god, a master of storms and fertility, and also a kind of a generic term for idols in general. But the worship of Baal was very cruel, very degenerate, with no regard for human life. Notice the end of verse 8. This is where their prophets are now going after things that do not profit. They didn't seek God. They didn't know God. They sinned against God. And instead of preaching God's word, look at the end of verse 8. Whose word are they preaching? This is why they departed from God and ended up chasing idols. Because they're hearing what the idols will bring you. Their compromised faith leads to a substitute faith. They replace God with Baal. Replace God with Baal. Malachi chapter 2, the Bible says this. The lips of a priest should keep knowledge. People should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. The covenant of Levi is to the Levites and the priests 
God is saying to them, you have compromised the truth. The result is my people are following idols. What does all this mean to us? In a few moments, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. We began this series in Jeremiah. What can we learn from a faithful failure? One of the things I love, we'll be reminded every week, is Jeremiah just stood up and said, Thus saith the Lord. Just speak the truth. Speak it in love. See what God does. You care. You just, you don't know what God's going to do, but you care. Years ago, in the, during the, under the Roman Empire, you know the history of the gladiators and all that went on, and the Colosseum at Rome would be filled with spectators coming for the games, and they'd watch human beings battle each other. And a lot of times they'd watch them, they'd throw them out there to animals, particularly the Christians, against wild beasts. In AD 404, there was a Syrian monk by the name of Telemachus. And it was going on, and Honorius was emperor of Rome, and this was going on. And one day Telemachus just jumps into the arena. He leaps onto the Colosseum floor, and he just turns and he screams out, quote, In the name of God, this thing is not right. In the name of God, this thing must stop. And the spectators were enraged that this guy who jumped out there, Telemachus, and they mocked him. They threw objects at him on the Colosseum floor. The gladiators got caught up in it. They attacked him. And one of them pierced him with the sword, and he just falls dead on the floor of the Colosseum. And the whole Colosseum just goes silent. Except for the first time, the people realized that their thirst for blood had cost the life of this innocent man. All Telemachus did, he just couldn't take it anymore. He just stood down there and said, in the name of God, this has to stop. It didn't stop right away, but in a short period of time, it began to be scaled back. And it wasn't long till it stopped. Telemachus just did what was right. He died that day. But when he stepped into heaven, what do you think Jesus said to him? Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Here's my encouragement to you as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper together. Don't forget where you came from. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, don't forget. Don't forget your heritage. Every day, spend time thinking about God, thanking God, and then saying, all right, Lord, this day is yours. How would you like me to spend it? And as I spend, do what I have to do. How can I glorify you today, Lord, today? Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We think about a heritage. We think about past. We think about You just being God. We think about Jesus coming, giving his life, shedding his blood, having his body tortured so that we might be set free. I pray we never forget that every day we'd be grateful, thankful, and then share with you, Lord, in prayer. Father, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do to glorify you?
Lord, if there's someone here who's not a believer, at this moment they would say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying for me. I give you my life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.